You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean. And uh, say hi, guys. Say hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> hi, guys. We wanted to talk about our predictions from last year. This episode is all about talking about predictions, our, you know, kind of reviewing our last year's prediction, uh, or the predictions from last year, and also reviewing kind of the year and the major events that happened last year, and just talking about those things. And I'm hoping that we'll get to talk about our future predictions next week for 2023. What do we um, win if we our predictions came true? If you nail them, um, I feel like I nailed one of mine really hard, and I just the only thing I win is sadness. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, let's talk about some news. <laughs> Rick, do the thing. nerd news. Nerd news. His Megadeth version of nerd news. So Gabe Barrett has just released his new project, his YouTube channel officially launched so that's something you should check out in the show notes send him some love he's done a lot for the board game community i haven't watched any of his newer videos haven't got a chance to but from just kind of scrubbing over them it looks like he's experimenting with different formats to see what works he has like an animation he's got some like talking head so yeah it'd be interesting to see what kind of content he's producing from what i can see it he's kind of expanding outside of the board game space and kind of doing maybe broader business yeah yeah so his his channel is at gabe barrett so just gabe barrett he had a a very popular podcast that still is popular to this day called the board game design lab podcast and he runs a great facebook group in the board game design lab community for game designers and now he started his youtube channel which is something that he he said that um his podcast was you know it generated like 5,000 downloads a week, which is pretty good, but that it just stayed there. It didn't increase. And he had a vision for his YouTube channel and to kind of expand beyond board game stuff. So he does have some really great board game focused things like his 71 ways to become a better game designer. Uh, But then he has some interesting kind of life advice, but overcoming adversity or, you know, um, just like imposter syndrome. And they're interesting videos and short, bite-sized and interesting. And uh, Gabe is definitely a guy that I would recommend that you listen to if you're at all into the board game scene. And he's a good uh, good friend and ally of us. So, and a and client it, too. And is this on the YouTubes? Yes. Or where is it? So okay, YouTube. YouTube. YouTube.com. I believe it's YouTube.com slash Gabe Barrett. Gabe you go put the Barrett. at. Okay, yeah, put the at. So, well, it's, in, it's in the that. it's in the show notes. <laughs> no, <slack>. cool. <laughs> YouTube's right. got that. Uh, re- I mean, it's it's new. Well, sort of new. The new tagging thing now. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have seen that. I have. You what? But yeah, you get you can you can create a tag for yourself. And, you uh, know, sort yeah. of like a Twitter thing, and and then you can comment on each other and whatnot. I think that was probably five years too late. I feel like they should have that long ago. Well, you know, you can't have it all. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're worried about making sure your 8K video goes through. Let's talk about some predictions now. And in, I mean, we could go over, you know, Rick's, then mine, then Sean's, or what, whatever you guys want. That's kind of my list here, uh, what we have. You guys just want to hit from the top? Yeah. So it was episode 52 was the previous predictions that we spoke of and richard went first so i suppose we can start off with richard i went first because no one else wanted to probably (laughs) we need that like flashback music and then you like hear me talking in the past you should just use that sound bite of your voice yeah so you predicted that the the base price of board games would jump up to about the 780 dollar mark from the 60 dollar i think it went more than that I mean, a lot of the games we've been looking at have like a base of like 120, you know, 110 um, in the three three digit range. I only predicted a, a slight inflation, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Can you prove it? 
Oh snap! I don't have the data. We where's our where's our data engineer? Where's our number cruncher? Uh, I'll say that I have been looking at you know the, the campaigns that we get, typical campaigns that we receive. They've actually been overall higher price points. Um, I think people are interested in bigger games, kind of bigger lifestyle type games, or or heading in that direction. Um, I uh, one thing that really became big last year and trend still continues this year really for the last couple of years it's been growing our big campaign games and you know we've seen this in video games actually you know they everybody was there was this huge push for more content it's like i want a game that takes nine thousand hours to play that has 85 alternate endings and a secret you know, like the old Final Fantasy VII, you could get a gold chocobo and you could master Knights of the Round twice and all of that. I don't know if you guys are old school I, enough I, to remember this. Yeah, well, I am, but... I never really got into those Japanese RPGs, to be honest with you. I've, I've played 10. That's the only Final Fantasy I've played. Okay. The, well, that's 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 win. I feel like you're missing out, though. But the, the, point, <laughs> the point that I was trying to make was that the... The, the video game industry went through this series or this fad. I don't know if I'd call it a fad, but it was a very long trend of bigger games with more content. And then, you know, as Steam started to really rise in popularity, it was, you know, there would be like, it, we went back to like 8-bit or 16-bit graphics with games that had a lot of content. Um, so you went like, you know, there were a lot of games that had Legend of Zelda type graphics that still had a ton of content and now people have like 400 unplayed games in their steam library they're not as interested in long content but they're more interested in the impactful experience even if the game is eight hours like uh what was that legend of zelda game that was on game boy that they just remade you know this year um oh link's awakening yeah that's right legend of zelda link's awakening it was about eight hours of gameplay and it cost $60, I think. So people were <laughs> like, really it's like going to the cinema. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, However, though, I mean, I know you said like camp bigger campaigns. However, it seems like bigger campaigns also mean more game pieces. And I believe, I think that a lot of these, uh, you know, bigger games are because and the bigger sales are because of the pieces. The, uh, a lot of them are doing the, uh, uh, as a PVC resin uh, characters, yeah, miniatures figures, and... miniatures. I mean, for example, here's a, this is a, well, this is sort of like an example out there, but Elden Ring. In yeah. fact, uh, at the, at, when you guys hear this podcast, they will have completed their Kickstarter crowdfunding. In fact, today, as we're recording it is the last day of it. And they are at $3.2 million with 11,000 know... backers. And they got a crap ton. Like the whole game is like pieces. It's and check literally... out their entry pledge. Um, the core pledge is 150. Yeah, and uh, if you want the all-in, which has all the fancy stuff, you're going to pay 364 Whew. pounds, about four hundred, almost 450 dollars. For so basically, the entry pledge is 180 dollars. Yeah, I mean, 90 plus hour campaign, and it's it's huge. I actually made the prediction incorrectly that, or I was wrong. So one of the predictions I made, not on that last podcast episode 52, but. Very recently, I made a prediction that Elden Ring had the potential to be the largest game on Kickstarter, or one of them, and it it, it really fell short, I think. I think a $3.2 million Kickstarter for Elden Ring, 11,000 backers, is good, but I don't know. I, it almost felt like, you know, Steamforged really got their core audience in, interested and that was it. I I don't know how much or how many gamers like for, for of Dark Souls and Elden Ring actually actually jumped in on this because I, I feel like it just I don't know it, it it was it was the game for those people and it didn't reach the potential that I thought it could. It had a huge IP. It had forty thousand Kickstarter followers. And it was backed by Steamforged, which has a massive email list. And it had Dark Souls, which was, a vi- even today, is a very popular game. And Elden Ring, it, you know, that, that had some not- notable issues with the actual gameplay that were fixed. 
So now they have Elden Ring, which is going to be a fixed version of Dark Souls, uh, the board game, which should, in theory, be by far the most awesome experience if you enjoyed Dark Souls. And it just kind of, to me, even at $3 million, it kind of failed my expectations. And I, I, I feel like if I was Steam Forged, I would have said, hey, this could, this, this, this will do at least 3 million and our target is six or, you know, something like that. And so I, I don't know. I, I felt like they did a lot of things right in the lead up to the campaign, but I don't think that it panned out as, as I was kind of expecting it. Could be the time of the year they launch, you know, people are thinking of Christmas. It's, it's a pretty big investment to get in. And I think as well, maybe a lot of video gamers, they're not really prepared to spend, you know, the $200 that is required to get in. Cause you know, you've got the, the pledge then shipping and that. Mm-hmm. I think another problem that I see with the page is like, it's, it's very, very long. They got these beautiful pictures. You see all these miniatures, but if you want to get to the reviews, the reviews, you just got to keep on scrolling. It's like this endless scroll. Like where are the reviews? It's like, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of content on this page and, Maybe that as well is kind of the fatigue of all the scrolling. They go, ah, you know, the people are banding. It's possible. Yeah, usually when you have something that long, you have little buttons along the way to say, buy now, because people will, you know, get excited and then uh, they keep reading and they keep reading. And then after a while, they're like, I'm tired. I'm just going to buy it. And that's where GameFound comes in helpful because you have that little menu on the side that you have those anchored links, which you can jump. So, maybe GameFound would have been a better platform to, to jump on here. But also like, you know, I think 25% conversion is pretty good. And I saw, I mean, I thought they did okay. I mean, they could have done better. I think they probably could have got up to like a 30, 35%. However, now you're also looking at a platform crossover where it's, you know, it's a video game into a board game. So of course there's hardcore video gamers that are never going to buy a board game, no matter yeah. how good it is, but you will get some of that crossover. I mean, you'll get a good chunk of that crossover. Yeah. Um, just not, not as much as you think. You know, what I find really interesting is they do not have a $1 pledge. So they do not have a $1 pledge. They've got 11,200, ba- uh, you know, and change backers uh, with a, with about 22 hours ago. 11,263 backers, uh, 264 backers, actually. Somebody joined, as I said that. And they, they have their first pledge is uh, the entry pledge, 434 backers there. Then they have the core pledge, 2,702 backers there. And then the all-in pledge, they've got 6,037 backers there. And if you add those three numbers up, you get to about 9,000 backers. And yet this campaign has 11,264 backers. And so you've got, you know, the selection is to pledge without a reward. I am one of these people that pledged one, uh, $1 without a reward uh, because I wanted to follow along. I wanted updates and, and that sort of thing. And... So I, I, you know, we're seeing that $1 pledge level. It's one of those things that I think educated Kickstarter backers, you might not need a quote unquote $1 pledge level anymore. If, you know, Mm -hmm. as long as you give people access to the pledge manager, that's the whole point. And so a $1 pledge level, like a man, you know, actually inputting a reward. I don't know that that's necessary anymore. I think the entry pledge being the first thing is good, but I, I don't know. I think, the you know people maybe weren't ready for a game that's this expensive at this time of year and we'll get into that in the future but i am not surprised you know kind of going back to your prediction rick i'm not surprised that we have uh, you know that this game is is so big and expensive i'm also not surprised that they chose to launch during the time that they did they basically launched right over thanksgiving weekend or week and black friday and cyber monday and I think it was a very short 10-day campaign that they chose to launch on the Tuesday of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I kind of think that was a little bit of a mistake, but I mean, it's I would never, ever recommend that somebody do that. I would always tell them you wait until afterward um, or you do it before. Yep. I know a lot of our clients were trying I think to a lot of people would have thrown their, you know, Christmas money at this in January. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like you, like you said, like right now, people are in the mode for discounts and deals. And this game will not provide that. So, of course, you know, people. In fact, it's funny because uh, I have a list of things that are on my wish list of things I want to buy or get. But I don't really, really need them. So they're just on this list. And then, of course, when Black Friday comes around, 
I check the list to see, you know, what sales those things are on. And if they are, then I grab it. If not, it just sort of sits on that list till next year. And I think that's the the mindset of a lot of people is, you know, during those times, you're looking for a discount. Um, and this is not, it's just full price. You can, you know, it doesn't do a thing. However, though, um, on the other flip side of the coin. I feel like there's an um, uh, opportunity for a song. <laughs> checking it checking twice, it twice. Yeah. Um, yeah woohoo happy two years woohoo yeah. two year anniversary <laughs> on the flip side though you mean think of the cost involved in this i don't think they're making much or anything at all um, i don't think they're gonna i don't think they're gonna lose money on this but i don't think they're gonna make much i mean first of all they had to buy the ip and then i mean how much do you think all those pieces cost to like you know set up design get get printed get tested make the molds i mean that's gotta be a crap ton. And I'm assuming their marketing, their advertising uh, marketing budget was very, very high as well. In fact, yeah. uh, they're using Google ads, uh, which is interesting, but I mm-hmm. mean, if it works, it works, but that's sort of just throwing, you know, yeah. sort of words in the air. Well, people searching Elden Ring on Google. Yeah. I mean, the Elden Ring is a very popular video game and a lot of people are going to be searching for it. And to see that there's a tabletop game, I think that's probably um, pretty wise, you know, good money spent. Uh, but yeah, to, to kind of answer your question as to what I think, I think that there are like 400 miniatures or something. I could be wrong, but I um, I mean, there have to be like 60 to 75 miniature sculpts, you know, the different miniature sculpts. And I think that, you know, given the IP and and what I have heard uh, from our from clients with similar, uh, you know, similar IPs and, and everything. I think that they needed uh, probably 1.5 million from like f- at least five or 6,000 backers to break even. And they really, really needed, you know, and they, and they wanted more. I, I would say 3 million is certainly acceptable. I, I would bet that they'll make, you know, in a similar, to, you know, we, we covered um, Skyrim uh, from Modifius Entertainment uh, a while back. They're they're gonna make uh, half or or maybe even the majority of their money off of that game at retail, you know, in distribution. I I do think that Elden Ring is gonna be a game that has a longer tail than just the the Kickstarter campaign. But yeah, I just I just feel like it's it's not, you know, with with the cut that they're probably giving for the IP. I mean, they had Dark Souls, so. They already have the relationship. So Elden Ring is like, you want this one too? We'll do the same deal and, you know, whatnot. You know, it's probably, they're probably getting a decent, decent deal there uh, because they're kind of a proven asset for their dark, you know, the other uh, company's Dark Souls um, IP. They did a great job. And so I I think they're probably not getting, you know, totally raked over the coals on the, the price of the IP. But I do think that it underperformed in in my opinion and i think that there are some significant reasons for that i i you know kind of highlighted the first one i think is a huge problem which is they launched their campaign during black friday and cyber monday weekend you know i mean it was it's a what a 10-day campaign so they launched on the 22nd probably and they're finishing on december 2nd maybe or or you know december yeah december 2nd and i i don't think that any game should be like that that should be the the week that you launch one company that i think does a great job with november or december launches is actually awaken realms and they you know they founded they created gamefound but um they they used to be the company that dominated november and or december it was like the month that everybody is is uh planning on spending money on things that ship in 2 days not 2 years and Awaken Realms still managed to get people to pay for Tainted Grail and for, um, gosh, I think uh, I could be wrong, but Uthia, Tainted Grail, ISS Vanguard, uh, a lot of really big games that made $3 million, $4 million, you know, and they are, you know, well known for doing very well. I think that big miniature games like Elden Ring can do really well in the month of of uh november and december uh, but you know and that's because people that are buying these things are saying i'm giving a present to me i really want this and they're they're the kickstarter regulars that understand it's going to be there two years from now but the money is spent this month so they're kind of thinking about like 
a, a Christmas present to themselves. The fact that they get to back the game, be a part of the, um, you know, like future updates and all of that and follow along. It's kind of the, the whole, they're buying into the whole experience really, I think not just the board game, but the, the problem that I'm, that I see with what would traditionally be an okay thing is the times have really dramatically changed with the recession and, um, you know, people and the way that they're spending money and, and that kind of thing. There's just not as much disposable income for a very, very big game. And that's what this is. All right. So let's cut this down to the brass tacks here. Okay. Yes or no, Andrew? Did you think overall the average base board game price went up? Yes. yes. I, All right. I'd Sean. say it went up by 10 bucks. Sean, yes or no? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's gone up. Um, you know, one thing I was just um, going back to Elden Ring for a second, just looking at the YouTube comments and a lot of people were saying that the entry point was too high. Now, those could have been video gamers, not necessarily board gamers, but I think the, the sticker shock was certainly there for a lot of people looking at the Elden Ring project. And yeah, I think the, the cost of games has gone up, will go up. That's yep. three yeses. Woohoo, winner. <laughs> All right. So what Richard's what other So what other crappy thing did I say? Okay, point <laughs> number 2, Richard's prediction, smaller backup pool in 2022 because a lot of people are, you know, going back to work. There's going to be less sort of quarantine time indoors, you know, playing games. So I, I people think I might have messed up on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was I think uh, more people, I think the same or more amount of people actually uh, backed Kickstarter games this year. Yeah, yeah. I don't I, think there's been um, a, a decrease. Not that, It's hard to tell without actual numbers, but it's nothing significant where you say, ooh, what's happening here? This is unusual. So yeah, I think that one kind of fell flat on its face, Richard. So sorry to disappoint. I can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that um, overall revenue on Kickstarter you know, it's when uh, we went from 2019 to 2020 and we saw that Kickstarter had the biggest year ever um, in crowd, you know, in its history. And so I'm, you know, I think, you know, even uh, despite the board game market experience, actually, I can share the, uh, the link to this. Uh, the board game market actually experienced overall a 15% loss in, in 2020. But Tabletop games raised more money on Kickstarter in 2020. So, and I think that that is largely because board game shops closed. Hmm. Um, huge online shopping. Drop. Yeah, a lot of online shopping, that kind of thing. And uh, we'll talk about that later, but we'll talk about Amazon. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a really interesting, you know, really interesting stats, you know, but. I think that uh, board games became very popular when everyone was stuck at home. And then you had um, probably a fall off this year because people did go back to work of people playing games. However, I think that people are still collecting. I don't really see huge fall. So the, the reason that I see a fall off personally is because of the, uh, you know, inflation and everything people are, spending less money or, or maybe their disposable income is not going as far, uh, but I, I do see them collecting about as much as they always have it just maybe playing a little bit less. So in that, in that sense, I kind of think you're right, Rick. Mm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh... <laughs> right. So now we're on to Andrew's predictions. Andrew's prediction. Number one, the 22 interest rates will increase. There'll be a real estate crash. Small entertainment purchases will become king as people can't afford to go on vacation or maybe invest in higher ticket items of entertainment. So that's that sort of like hit the nail on the head right there, I think. <laughs> I feel pretty bad about that. So. Andrew's got a crystal ball on that one. Real estate is hanging in there. It is on a low, but I don't think it's fully, fully crashed. But I think everything else that you said was uh, pretty spot on. Um, yeah, in real estate, because of the interest rate right now, it's 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 hurting, but... I mean, people, they're still building. So at least in California, they are still building homes right next to my house. So um, it's still going. They're still going. But yeah, it's, uh, it's prices are now sliding uh, lower. Yep. <laughs> Foreign investors, what that is. Well, San yeah. Diego for a little while was one of the, uh, what was it, the highest, uh, costliest uh, neighborhoods for a little bit um, with prices going up or price had the highest price increases for 
for uh, ownership this last year. And now it's starting to, it already hit the peak and now it's sort of sliding back down. Um, yep. But it's still the homes on my, I've had, there was a few homes that went for sale on my street this month and the signs are already gone. So people are still buying. Yep. Um, it's just not as crazy as it was earlier, but it is, I think being hurt, especially with interest rates. As far as sales, I have a couple of real estate agents uh, that are, that I'm, I'm close to that I get advice from here and there. And I travel in circles with real estate agents that just as I kind of listen to them talk. And one of the things that they said was that in San Diego as a market for real or for uh, real estate during the peak, when I actually, when I sold my house about a year ago, I uh, evidently hit the best time to sell. And the average house was on the market for about two months, you know, between, you know, maybe a month of, of sitting time and then a month of, Hey, somebody has put in an offer that's been accepted. And, you know, it, it's now it's only off the market, quote unquote, after the purchase goes through, because if it's, you know, if for whatever reason, the purchase person or the purchasing party doesn't qualify, then the house never left the market. It was just listed as pending. So, um, the, you know, what, what, what I think the stats are now is, and this is just from memory. Um, if, if I'm wrong on this and gold, it's your fault, but, um, the average home is only on the market for three months. So it's a 50% increase in the amount of time that a home takes to sell from two months to three months, but it's really not that much time at all. Um, you know, as far as the, the time to sell a house, I think that the, the actual, you know, prices that people are willing to pay are, are really dropping because the, the interest rates have spiked dramatically. I think I got a, a, a 4% interest rate when I bought my house and, you know, in this, uh, this, this last year. And now I think we're almost at eight, you know, or between seven and 8% for the, for the very same money. If you want to, if you want to get, if you want to get a loan. Here's- Here's an interesting t- statistic from Redfin. Don't know how accurate it is, but I, there's the source. Yeah, um, it says for, company. yeah, they're pretty good. I just don't know how, like I said, how accurate this information is. But uh, according to Redfin in October, um, home prices were up 5% compared to last year. Um, however, homes sold was down 20, looks like 8% uh, year over year. So that's interesting. Yeah, that is curious. I believe my prediction I predicted a uh, not a nationwide real estate crash, but more of a localized real estate crash where people are moving out of places like California that are expensive and moving to places that have homes that are more affordable places like the Midwest, which have nothing to do at all. Like, you you know, there's just nothing fun to do in Iowa, Uh, but you know, it's homes are cheap and yeah, tornadoes every once in a while. Yeah, that's that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, board um, games, Andrew. Those, board games. Yeah, that's why Iowa wrestlers are so tough. Is because there's Which is, literally nothing else to do there. So what Andrew um, is saying is because of these this move, the shift in population, actually board game sales went up because there was nothing to do where they moved to. Yeah, that's right. That's basically <laughs> right. I think that one area that I was wrong. Was that small? I said that small entertainment purchases will become king because people could not afford vacations. I still think people cannot afford vacations. However, they're still taking them. And <laughs> the uh, cruise industry is doing pretty well right now. In fact, well, they got some really good prices. So, yeah, they're, they've actually, um, you know, they sort of uh, adjusted the economy and they're actually pretty affordable right now. Yeah. But, yeah. So, if you, if you look at some of the latest travel data, um, travel spending, is actually right now above the 2019 levels that people were spending. So um, the uh, you know if you look at overseas travel, like people from the U.S. trying to uh, or traveling more, there are more plane tickets being sold right now than in 2019, which is kind of uh, seems uh, was surprising to me. But overseas travel is like 30% below this at this same same time in 2019. And uh, uh, here's an interesting <laughs> prediction because <clears throat> this actually goes into effect uh, in about, what, five, six months? Um, the real ID with uh, domestic travel on planes, mm-hmm. that might cause a big uh, drop for at least a while, for at least, I'm going to say for at least 
six months, maybe to a year, travel is just going to sort of drop because people will, of course, not have their real ID and wait till last minute. And then, of course, they won't get it till after they really need it. And then it's just going to clog things up. Social credit system. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Amazon is winning. The buy now, pay later model is going to be adopted by small businesses when making purchases. That was your prediction, Andrew. Yeah. I, I don't really think that the buy now, pay later model is any more popular than it was. So I think I kind of, you know. That one sunk. Right. Next yeah. one. Gonna, well, actually, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Because I do a lot of browsing. My girlfriend does extremely too much shopping. And so, yes, Amazon, I think sort of, it sort of died, the uh, the payment thing. However, uh, there's some of the bigger companies like Affirm. They're everywhere now. Like literally every every time I go to like check something out on a non-Amazon site, of course, it's like, oh, you can pay it now or for payments with a firm. You know, it's so um, a lot of the the box stores and companies, large companies, but not as large as Amazon are taking advantage of of that, I think. Um, but not Amazon. Amazon, I think you just said, now nah, we're done. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I do think that um, Amazon Pay and PayPal are essential to have on your on your website if you're selling stuff. Um, you should definitely have the ability to take a credit card, so you need a merchant account and whatnot. But Amazon and PayPal, I think those two methods are really important, and you'll actually make more money. And I, uh, you know, if you have those, uh, you know, more people will continue and and actually make the purchases. You'll have less abandoned shopping carts, I think. And um, they, both of them have the ability to buy now, pay over time and, and that kind of thing. But that's because, you know, I, I just think, I, I don't think that's why you'll make more money. But um, but yeah, and, you know, while we're on the topic of Amazon, I think, you know, overall, you had a ton of, you know, during the 2020 year, you had a ton of uh, board game shops close their doors, a lot of board game shops that had open doors, you know, what my, my local shop was like, Hey, we can't, they don't have the cash flow to completely shut down. They had to figure stuff out and, you know, people still want to play games and, and whatnot. They actually did like a curbside delivery thing and, you know, figured out any way that they could like to, to get people together. They, as soon as they had a way to continue with like their magic gathering tournaments and other things like that, they did, uh, you know, it was like, Hey, we have, our tables are spaced 30 feet apart and, you know, we have our, our mask wearing folks and, and so on and so forth. Right. The, however they were able to make it happen, they did. And those companies, those shops had a lot of games open on their shelves. Amazon just like the sales on Amazon skyrocketed like crazy. If you wanted to buy a copy of like, you know, oddly enough, the board game pandemic, which was one of the most popular uh, games to buy or that, that sold on Amazon during that time, you, you could not get that game. It was like in all Amazon's warehouse, they sold out of all of the games that they had. So many of the games they had. Maybe he had some inside knowledge. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> Matt, Matt Leacock worked for the CIA. Seriously. So, uh, yeah, pandemic was a, uh, was a setup. They, a um, yeah. So the Amazon sold, other products because it was easy to buy people were at home and that kind of thing board game shops that did not have the ability to, to sell online a lot of them sell through ebay sometimes amazon and other things they actually had stock just sitting there collecting dust because people weren't buying it i actually find that to be really sad because i i think overall you know board game shops do much more for the board game industry than amazon even though you know it's like at this point i think almost half of all internet purchases originate on amazon it's which is important when you're developing your e-commerce store you kind of need to mimic the layout of amazon so it's familiar to people i think that's really important having the same structure having the same like one button you know checkout Mm -hmm. system in place and the reviews i mean it doesn't look like the one from the ninth or the early 2000s but uh it hasn't really changed much in the last uh decade (laughs) yeah yeah i do think that there are certain things that typical web design gets wrong all the time with e-commerce. And that is like six different steps until you finally actually are able to pay money for the product you want. 
that is not good if you have a checkout process on your website that takes five or six different steps to to get through like five or six clicks you know you should be able to add a product to your cart hit the checkout button and then hit the order button like those yep. three buttons right the less the less steps the better and also you need to tell your your customer or client what you want them to do in fact uh, one of our one of our seo clients um I, I redid some of his websites uh, this last few months and uh, he had a whole bunch of pages and I'm like, no, you don't need that. No, you don't need that. I said, literally, you just need to tell, tell them what the service you offer, show some social proof, you know, and then say reserve now book now. Mm-hmm. And uh, these, the sites are are bringing quite a few leads from it. It's, it's literally they're they're now two page websites, <laughs> and, yep. but it gets, it tells them exactly what they're going to get, what's going to happen, what to do, gives them, you know, a number to call if they have more questions or you just fill out the form on the, on the thing and they get right back with you. That's the idea. You just want to grab their attention, tell them what to do and make sure it's done in, you know, one click if possible. Um, That's right. Yeah. Moving along. Number three, more direct selling. So the dis- distributor influence is going to decrease and we're going to see more direct selling in the board game industry, tabletop industry. Ooh, interesting. I, I haven't, to be honest, now this is really bad because I really don't know where one is in this neighborhood I live in, but I haven't been to a game store in quite a while. Now I've been to, uh, I go to Barnes & Noble a lot and they actually have really expanded their board game distribution um, like crazy, but I haven't you know seen what the overall scene is like for regular mom and pop shops. But yeah, distribution, I think, doesn't I mean in some cases it looks like it's getting bigger in some cases it looks like it's shrinking and then you know direct sales but I haven't really seen many direct sales either usually I just see like the the Kickstarter and GameFound and then that's it I haven't seen really people I haven't heard or seen any many cases where people are literally now selling their product outside of their initial uh, crowdfunding event maybe I'm wrong but yeah you know I, I do see more companies moving to a um, a direct to consumer strategy. Um, a, a lot of this is actually on Kickstarter itself. You have about a hundred thousand people that frequent Kickstarter and almost exclusively buy their board games on Kickstarter and they, you know, give or take, and they are, that's where they find their products. So you can sell directly to consumers there. And, uh, you know, and of course this also includes game found and whatnot, but then you've got a lot of people who walk around stores and buy products. It is, I do believe distribution is still a very effective model, but I do see newer customer, rather newer board game companies that have a little bit less pull. They are more likely to sell direct than find a distribution deal than last year. I myself actually recently placed in my manufacturing order for deliverance we decided to order 5,000 units. And this was partially based on a client experience that we had recently that kind of was, was one of the factors. Yes. Maybe maybe we should go into that. How, how's one way where you can shoot yourself in the foot when it comes to distribution and your Kickstarter. So, yeah. So the, so the background, we had a, a client that we, that we onboarded that had their games in distribution and their goal was for us to sell more of their products, you know, direct. And so we found we were, you know, they they had very popular games, you know, very popular crowdfunded games, and they were, uh, you know, really great company, great games. And we thought this is this is going to be great. We're going to sell a lot of stuff, and they're going to love it, and we're going to have a great long term relationship. So what actually happened? It just didn't seem like the sales were were rolling like we thought they were going to. And so I I did some research and around in month two of our relationship, I think we came up with the reason why, which was because they had sold a lot of their games that we were trying to sell into distribution. Those games made it into hands of people that would deep discount. And you had a ton of games listed on Amazon that were prime so free shipping and listed for a lower price than than we were selling it for on their website and it was and we were discounting on their website too so what we what i found we ended up doing was i, I found the listing 
And then I found it again and there was only one copy left <laughs> in, in like month three. They So we were marketing and advertising and we were helping their, the, the person that purchased or the company that purchased through distribution sell their stock. So we were selling games. We were not selling games direct from the, this company's website because pe what people do is they find the game. They decide, oh yeah, I'd love this game. I'd love to try this game. The first thing they do is where's a coupon code or a, give, you know, I'm looking for a discount or I'm looking for the best price. Those and start so, coupon sites. Oh yeah. Spam. So <laughs> seriously, <laughs> well, when you, when you type, you know, a, a name of a product on Google, first thing that how, or even Amazon, you know, a lot of people originate their search on Amazon, but on Google, especially, you know, people will type in the name of a product and they'll get listings for that product on Google that are actually li listed by the lowest price. And then the first organic result is oftentimes amazon.com's listing of that product. And so they found the cheaper version that also had free shipping. And it was like a no brainer for somebody that wants to buy that game. Of course, you're going to buy it at the uh, the cheaper price yep. when it comes with free Amazon shipping. Google, Google's so, been playing an interesting game. Um, they, you know, they, they've late recently they've been, uh, you know, killing and cutting affiliate sites, sites that advertise products on Amazon and whatnot, because um, they don't like them anymore. However, at the same time, like you said, like if you type in a product, the first thing that comes up is not just a listing; it's images with the price, with the store, like you said, in order. It's right there on the very, very top above all the ads, the paid ads, text ads, and everything. So yeah, so when someone types in a product, the first thing you do, oh yeah, here it is on Best Buy, here it is on Amazon, here it is on whatever, and yep. click, 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 and yeah, and so yeah, so um, yeah, that can if you have if you have you know already distributed your game or someone else has you know your game available, that's the one thing you got to check is see who's selling it and how much they sell it for. Otherwise, yeah, you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you know Joe yep. Blow's gonna type in. Well, not Joe Blow, but <laughs> someone's going to type in what they what they want, and like you said, they're going to price once they're once they're sure they have what they want. The next step is they price shop, yep. unless they really, really, really want it badly and don't care. They just want it; they'll they'll buy it. But then, of course, you know, some people who don't need it immediately, like in board games. Well, I mean, it depends, but most board games people aren't like, "I got to buy it now." Mm -hmm. um, I can buy it tomorrow. So um, yeah, they'll price shop it and then they'll buy it. Yep. Yeah. Um... It's uh, it's unfortunate. And, and let me tell you how this happens for people wondering how in the world does that happen? Um, so when, when for me, um, I, uh, you know, on, I went through our deliverance Kickstarter, I had a, uh, a spot that, you know, retailers could purchase. And what I required was that they would show me either their physical store location and that that would match up with the, the address the games were going to. Um, and you know, uh, other things like that. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't a deep discounter. There were a couple of people that had like an online store, but I, they, they only bought like, you know, six games. Um, one, one customer in particular was just real small. And so I thought, okay, no problem. Now, if you get a deep discounter website that wants to buy like 300 copies from you, then you're probably going to run into one of these situations where they're going to put it up on, uh, you know, just for the cheapest price, they're going to try to blow through the copies, leverage your advertising effort to sell their games. And that's part of their model is that they're going to deep discount and, you know, they buy it for half off. They list it for 70 to 80% off, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, 70 to 80% of the retail price, which is really like, oftentimes it's the Kickstarter price. So, by waiting, your backer that decided not to back your game this time could find it cheaper, the Kickstarter edition cheaper from this, you know, from these types of companies afterward, which I think is a very bad habit. You're not going to make, uh, you're not going to generate much, much trust with your, your fans by doing that way. And now another way that is very common that this happens is you work with a really great logistics company like Fun Again Fulfillment or um, you know, ShipQuest or you name it, Bridge Distribution's another one that I'm kind of looking at. And you have, so for me, I printed 5,000 units of deliverance. I've pre-sold about 3,000 and that means I'm going to have about 2,000 left that will go into a warehouse so that I can sell stuff. 
I have the ability um, with a lot of these uh, fulfillment companies, warehousing companies, to earmark a certain quantity available for distribution. This would be if Barnes and Noble wants to buy, uh, you know, 600 units of my game. Of course, I want that available for Barnes and Noble. However, what actually happens is, the, you know, if you make if you if I earmark 600 of these games out of the 2,000 that I have left available for distribution, they will all sell. And I'll sell them at 40% of my MSRP and I'll make money that way, but then they're going to end up online and they're going to be at a price that's very competitive to my own. And because I don't want to dilute my, the value of my brand or my product, I, I don't want to deep discount my own product. It would certainly upset my Kickstarter backers if I sold for less um, just to simply get rid of the stock and all of that. But it, it will happen if you sell uh, games to a, um, to a distributor or, you know, if you, if you mark games for distribution, people will buy them and you're going to have to deal with that. If your game doesn't sell really fast, of course, if deliverance becomes very popular, then it'll sell out quickly. And if the distributors buy it, then all their games will sell out because of the buzz and there's no problem. But a lot of the time, if you, you know, sold 4,000 units and you print 10,000 units, I promise you, you'll have this problem. Yeah. So something to <laughs> be aware of that. Yourself. Yeah. You're competing with yourself. So something definitely to be aware of, you can sort of shoot yourself in the foot unintentionally by, by that. There's a very sort of kind of like a subtle mistake that people can make. Right. So the final prediction, which was one I made, which I don't think it's come true. There's a rise in the sentiment for localized manufacturing. I sort of, we were at, at the time making those predictions. All we could see was manufacturing and shipping fulfillment just becoming more and more expensive. There was no sort of downward trajectory at that time. So I was like, well, if this keeps on going up, people are eventually going to be like, hey, can we do this cheaper locally? Um, but yeah. I think the shipping crisis is kind of stabilizing. It's coming down is the trajectory. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's definitely yeah. a possibility. It just might need more time, more than a year. It might need five years before something like that actually you know, the rubber hits the road, but we'll see. I, I so you were saying I, that more local people would go more local when producing their game. Is that the, the yeah, I think people are like, Oh man, it's just so expensive getting it from, you know, halfway across the world to here. Is there a solution that's it's such a closer? And... Yeah. I, I think that there are a couple of uh, pieces to that puzzle that I think you actually nailed. Uh, sent a rise in sentiment for localized manufacturing. I would love to to manufacture locally just to support my you know my my city, my state, my country. You know, I would love to get my manufacturing out of China and manufacture somewhere else if they were capable of of actually doing it. If you make anything with plastic in it, you have to manufacture it in China. You really don't have much of a choice because they are dominantly set up for toys and you know, anything made of plastic, they, that's, that's like their thing. And so I think that even though I would want, I want to manufacture somewhere else, if, if I wish I had an option, um, I really don't, if I manufacture from wood, you know, using wood components, then you've got Ludo fact from Germany and other manufacturers that you can work with. But if you, if you even use plastic dice, then you have to manufacture in China, or you have to get those manufactured in China and shipped over to your German manufacturer or something like that. So I, I think that people want to manufacture elsewhere. I just think that at least in the games industry, it's not really possible. You've got things like computer chips. It might be more possible if you had something like a trading card game you're developing. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, card. It's far more easier to yeah. produce yeah. than like miniatures or, you know, as you said, plastic dice. So I suppose the way to get around that difficulty is in the game design process. Design a card game. Design a game that it's cardboard. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty accessible to get cardboard. Print so, and play. Print and uh, play. That's another way to do it. Yeah. And then of yeah. course tabletop simulator. I think more will be on there. Oh well, I was going to say in in relation to the you know card games and whatnot, Magic the Gathering, uh, which is you know the big dog of Wizards of the Coast, they actually use a U.S. based manufacturer called Cardamundi. And they are, um, I mean, that's pretty much, or no, 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 they're in Belgium, actually. So they're, they're not based in China and they use 
black core stock, which is a very, uh, you know, like a Chinese black core is like a very common, commonly used card stock. So they found a way to manufacture through Cardamundi and, um, mm. and, you know, I believe Cardamundi has a U.S. location. I, I actually think that they're based in Texas, like Dallas, Fort Worth area. And, um, they have found a way to avoid all of the headaches. So magic had no problem selling, you know, during the pandemic, getting product over, and they don't have the issue with the, the freight going up and down. Um, but, uh, which I, I think is super duper smart, you know, print where your customers are. If you have an evergreen title like that, you really should find a way to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they're, you're right. They're in Dallas and, uh, they're right next door to the Frito-Lay corporation. <laughs> Dang, yeah. That's where I want to be. <laughs> that's awesome. I guess in, in a, in a conclusion, you know, to this whole rise in sentiment for localized manufacturing. I don't think that it's happened, but I think that, you know, it has, you know, with, with all of the insanity that's happening in China right now and the protests and other things, I think any, you know, normal people loving human is pretty uh, disturbed. And I, I think that um, that's causing just the the scent again you know the sentiment it's this overall sentiment that i think people want to move away from that instability so which i have a prediction about next week there we go so stay tuned and with that said that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds we hope you enjoyed our review of last year's uh uh predictions and what we thought came true and what didn't come true and stay tuned next week for our future predictions of 2023 about the board game industry, about, you know, where our economy's going and whatnot and things like that and everything that affects that. And as always, if you're interested and enjoyed our show, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And until then, stay cool, stay awesome, and stay here.